0: Hey everyone, welcome to Tangents. I'm Susan Farley, Project Manager with McLaughlin Research Corporation, and I support the Public Affairs Office here at the Naval Undersea Warfare Center, Division Newport. I am really excited about this episode that we recorded to honor Asian American Pacific Islander Heritage Month. I got a chance to talk to Ms. Yao Fan, Executive Director of Naval Sea Systems Command. She was so generous with her very limited time and so gracious to share her story with us. She talks about how her family left Vietnam to come to the United States and how she and her parents and her siblings and her extended family made lives for themselves in a new country with a new language. We talked about pho, Navy shipyards, and warfare centers. When you hear her origin story, you will understand why inclusion, diversity, mentoring, and family are so important to her. Ms. Fan is responsible for a humongous enterprise. The breadth and depth of NAVSEA is pretty staggering yet she took some time out of her schedule to share her story with Tangents. So have a listen, everyone. So um, as you know, we wanted to do this podcast to celebrate Asian American Pacific Islander Heritage Month. And so my first question to you is, how are you celebrating?
1: I will be celebrating Asian American Pacific Islander Heritage Month by doing what I've been doing every year, which means continue to honor my heritage and my family, and then also build on the work that I have done in my positions. And right now is the executive director at the Naval Sea System Command. And then doing everything that I can to
0: keep the Navy and Marines team strong. That's awesome. We appreciate that very much. And just uh, for our listeners, your heritage, you're from Vietnam. So can you tell us a little bit about what your life was like in Vietnam before the war?
1: Right. So I come from a middle-class family. I live in Saigon with my parents and my uh, siblings. Uh, My parents got nine children. I was able to uh, go to public school, is' an old uh, girls uh, public school. Uh, in 1975, that was when the North Vietnamese uh, was slowly invading the South Vietnamese and took over. My uncle, uh, who is a senior military officer, used to have an uh, American advisor and that American advisor uh, sent him a telegram saying that the U.S. is going to uh, leave Vietnam, and so they going to uh, evacuate the Vietnamese. And so if my uncle wants to take his family to the U.S., he's uh, willing to sponsor. My uncle actually threw that paper telegram into the trash can and told my father about it. And my father ended up (laughs) retrieved that from the trash can, took it to the American embassy, and was able to help both families, my uncle's family and my family, out of Vietnam. Both of them stay back, my uncle and my father, because they still have soldiers working for them. Uh, They stay back in Vietnam till the last day. Uh, But uh, for uh, uh, my uh, family and my uh, uncle's family, we were able to leave on the uh, 23rd of April, back in 1975. How old were you? I am revealing my age. I was 15. I was 15 years old back then. So right. it's uh, actually earlier this week uh, on a Monday, I was celebrating uh, 47 years in uh, Northern America.
0: Oh, that's awesome. Congratulations. Thank you. So I understand that your mom and your siblings, you went from Vietnam to Guam, and then you got from Guam to Northern Virginia. Can you tell me a little bit about that journey?
1: Yes, so that part of the Americans uh, evacuating the Vietnamese refugees. So we flew from um, Vietnam to Guam on the C-130. And then my uncle's has a daughter who's gone to school in Alexandria, and she and her husband sponsor, actually sponsor us. And we flew from Guam to Camp Pendleton. At Camp Pendleton, all I remember was this was very cold. We landed there. On um, the 30th of April, that when we heard the president of Vietnam back at the time surrender to the North Vietnamese, and it was a very sad day. Uh, We stayed there a day or two, and then my cousin sponsored us. So we flew from Camp Pendleton to Alexandria, northern Virginia, and twenty-one of us—my uncle's family, my family—all live with my cousin and her husband in a one-bedroom, one-bath um, apartment
0: back then. Wow, that's a lot of people. Have you ever been to the United States before?
1: No, I have never been. So it was a really different uh, experience back then.
0: What were your first impressions of the United States?
1: That the people were so kind. Very, and they are still very kind now. I'm so Uh, glad to hear you say that. Yes, uh, I remember everywhere we went, we were welcome. So American Red Cross uh, gave us clothes and shoes. When all of us went to school, the high school counselor took my parents and also my siblings and I to a store to get us shoes. My sister's teachers, the one teacher, and I think she was an English teacher, I took my sister and I out to a store to uh, to get us coats, because at the time we were clothes donated by American Red Cross. My English second language um, teacher offered me a job, but it wasn't really a job, just follow her, helping her around the house and gave me money. She was afraid that uh, that we had too much pride and that we wouldn't receive free money. So she just created jobs so she can give me money. That's why I do believe in giving back because I remember how kind all the Americans were to us.
0: That is really great to hear. So you're a teenager, how did you adjust to school?
1: In junior high and high school, it was hard because number one, I didn't know English. So adapting with the English language was hard. And then the second thing was that I have to say, kids in junior high and high school, they didn't know how to interact with people do not look like them. So they, I felt like I was very lonely. And imagine we had to take PE and I was only 72 pounds at the time. Nobody wanted to pick me uh, in playing um, uh, basketball, right? I was too short and the feeling that nobody wanted you to be on the team was a feeling that I remember until this day. And so that to me, diversity and inclusion is so important because I remember how isolated that I felt and I don't ever want anybody to feel that way. When I went to college, it was much different. Uh, Maybe my peers were more welcome. They more um, grown up and so they welcome me um, better.
0: Where did you go to school? Where did you go to college? Oh, I went to Virginia Tech, go Hokies. That's awesome. So uh, your dad was in the Vietnamese military. Your mom led you and your siblings from Vietnam to America. Could you talk a little bit about how your parents influenced you?
1: Yes, I would love to talk about my parents. And I hope they listen to this because I don't think that I ever told them how I feel about them. I told them I love them, but I learned so much from my dad because he was in um, the military. So honor, courage, and commitment are very important and that's what he raised us with. And those are the same characteristics that we strive to build within the Navy. And that's what he exhibits on the daily basis. And with my mom, uh, what I've learned is that what a strong woman that she was. Uh, She was, um, you know, back in the days in in the Asian country, that woman's dependent on the man. Right, woman supposed to step two or three steps behind the man. And, but um, my parents believe in the wife supposed to have a job. And so my mom was working. When she came here, she didn't know English. So she uh, stayed at home for the first few years. But I found that she was extremely resourceful. And what I love about her, she has the ability to connect with people. Uh, at a very basic human level. Even when we were we had a cook, chauffeur, um, nannies, she treated all of them as family members. And so those are the qualities that enhanced by her devotion and love for her family. So uh, I can't say enough about her, devotion to family, her strength, and despite not having everything over here except for $300 when she came, she kept us together, provided for us, given the small income that my dad made, and, and we just didn't realize that we didn't have everything So, so and allow us to build a new home. So I learned so much just from her strength.
0: Yeah, moms are the best. So you have eight siblings. Are you still close with your siblings?
1: Yes. And I think because of the hardship we grew up, uh, we're very close with each other. Because when we came here, my dad from a military officer worked as a... um, where you call like a maintenance man at the Holiday Inn in Brooklyn. Uh So didn't make uh, a lot. And so we supplemented the income by uh, all of us deliver newspapers. And our family did that for 10 years, deliver the Washington Post.
0: That's amazing, I love that.
1: Yes, yeah, so so by doing that, we because we deliver papers when we had storms, so rain or shine or snowstorm, we delivered the Washington Post, and that strengthened the bonds that we had each other. So right now, we um, most of our, my my uh, family live within like ten miles of each other, except for my oldest brother, my baby sister. But um, the remaining of us and my parents live within 10 miles. So we got together almost every
0: weekend. That's awesome. So that kind of brings me to one of my questions. Like when you're with your family, are you able to speak Vietnamese with each other and celebrate your culture? Like what is that like when you're all together at this point? (laughs)
1: <laughs> I I would say that I wish that I, that I speak uh Vietnamese to each other. Now we I would say that we speak about fifty percent Vietnamese. I would speak about seventy five percent Vietnamese with my parents, but uh it's it's most uh, mostly when my siblings were speaking English. That's something I'm not proud of. I wish uh, that, um, <laughs> that I would do better than that. But uh, we honor many traditions that we had in Vietnam. For example, the Lunar New Year, we always got together and pray. Anniversaries of when my grandparents uh, passed away, we got together and went to, uh, and would go to the cemetery and pray. I think our ancestors did a very good job at creating occasions for our families to get together and bond together. And then we celebrate every holidays that we have, you know, so Christmas, Thanksgiving, uh, July Fourth to us. All of that is just a way for all of our family members get together and my, even my children enjoy those family time.
0: So your family, those celebrations must be really big at this point with your brothers and sisters and their families. Are we talking a lot of people? Uh Yes. And and yes, uh, so
1: our family is uh, normal every time we get together and now that um, most of us are married and most of us have children, so it's easily about 30, 40 people. But because we are Asian, So it's not only our immediate families, our aunts and uncles and their family. So before COVID, it's easily get to about um, 50, 60 people. Because of COVID, we've been like
0: around 30. Small crowd. Yes. So I wanna switch gears a little bit. I I kinda wanna get into, you know, what was your college experience like? Did you find a community of other students uh, of Vietnamese heritage?
1: You know, back in those times, because English wasn't primary language and we were still learning. So I went to college only after two years I was here. So the tendency was to get together with a group that you most closely associated with. So even though I was room with with American friends, on weekends or when every get together during the four years in college, I had a group of um, friends that now, 40 years later, we still keep in touch because we share the same experience escaping Vietnam the missing for our language and also the culture. So I would say we share the same culture, the food, uh, the music. And so on weekends, we tend to get together a lot. And so we can cook Vietnamese food. And actually, they mostly cook Vietnamese food. And oh, I have to say something. Because I went to Virginia Tech, right? It's an engineering school. So back then, about a hundred Vietnamese guys, and then only about five or six Vietnamese girls. Well, all of us were very popular. So I wasn't good looking, but I was popular. (laughs) So that's, that's how I remember my college experience. But I remember that we were more studious uh, than our my children nowadays. I envy the kids, um, my children, my nieces, my nephews going to school nowadays. They have more fun. They engage more activities
0: uh, at school. It sounds like you had a pretty good time, though. I'm not gonna lie. Sounds like you did all right. <laughs> yes. <Yeah. laughs> <laughs> Um, could you tell me what inspired you to take a job after college um, as a Navy civilian? Well, what did what did you study in school and, and how did that direct you into a career with the Navy?
1: So back then, um, because our English was not very good, so the easiest um, career field going to is engineering because most of us are good in math. So even within my family, my parents got nine children, right? Eight of us major in engineers, engineering. And for the one who was a major in engineering married an engineer. So I was lucky enough that when I got out of college, graduated from college, being an engineer, I got a job. I didn't have the U.S. citizen then. So I went and worked for Bakhtong, building nuclear power plant. And um, three years later, uh, the the TMI uh, incident, the Three Mile Island nuclear incident happened and the nuclear industry went down. And by then I got American um, citizen. And so that was an opportunity for me to apply and work for the Navy and to tell you the truth. Ever since, you know, when my father and uncle escaped from Vietnam, they flew on uh, a helicopter. And when they escaped, uh, the, the fuel gauge was like going down to almost empty and flew out to the ocean that was when there was really nothing that was in despair. And there was USS Midway and American aircraft carriers uh, was out there for his helicopter to land. In. And so that to, to them and the story they relayed to me was that, hey, that's uh, that's America, you know, them? Midway, that's represent freedom, hope. And that became like, oh wow, you know, one day I would like to be able to pay back to the U.S. Uh, because of, of what it represents. Then after that, I had an opportunity to work for the Navy, in the Navy, and uh, to pay back and to honor what
0: we have been benefit from that seems to be a, a common theme um among the vietnamese workforce here in the navy i've interviewed a few people over the years who left vietnam and came here to start a new life and and that is a common theme among all the folks that i've interviewed um, including last year when uh, i spoke with rear admiral win he said the same thing and um I think that's amazing. I think that's really inspiring for people to hear. Speaking of inspiration, I I was curious, what inspired you to keep taking on roles of of greater responsibility?
1: It's very much um, my mother's influence and the example that she set during my upbringing. I have to say that uh, I had the raw material, you know, the dedication, the work ethics, the drive, the resourcefulness, and the ability to connect with people. But I needed the guiding hand, which I later found in mentorship. A lot of people had helped me to navigate through uncharted uh, waters that um, lay ahead. Did you find a mentor early on in your career? Yes. And I didn't even know that he was my mentor. It was actually my supervisor. So I was lucky enough that I had many good supervisors, saw the potential in me. And when I didn't have the confidence that I have right now, not that I have that much confidence, much more. But when I wasn't even sure of myself back then, uh, they saw the potential in me and pushed me to do things that I wasn't uh, confident that I could do it. And that's the biggest lessons learned that I had with the workforce now. I always advise them to find mentors or have multiple mentors Because that somebody can see the potential that you don't even have, build your confidence, or be able to give you um, the advices that you may not be able to hear from other people.
0: So, throughout your life, and you know, you've had a lot of challenges, obviously, with, with leaving your country, and then, you know, as you mentioned, feeling sort of excluded. Um, How did you overcome these challenges and how did that shape you into the person you are now?
1: The the network of support. I am very lucky that I have mentioned earlier about having mentors, but I also have a very strong support from both my families and my friends. Now, being a um, working woman in a uh, Asian family, you know, it's very hard uh, uh, for, for people, including my parents, to say that that you should slow down your career advancement to take care of the family. I didn't take the advice, so, so luckily with the, the support of my uh, own family, And also, I am so lucky, I have wonderful in-law family that they support me working and wanted me to pursue my career, an advanced career. So they offer to take care of my children and then they even cook for me, right? (laughs) They know I work long hours so they cook and they bring over. And so, so I am very lucky. And then I have friends. As you have mentioned, there's many challenges and work has not always gone smoothly. And I have trusted friends that I would be able to call upon and listen to me and build my confidence because you, you need the right support people to lift you out of some of the dark times because not everything is rosy in life, including the work career path. And I do have a a great network of support to
0: help me throughout my career. So you have a really big job as executive director of NAVC. What do you like most about that job?
1: Ah, the people. I have been able to meet so many people who dedicate their professional lives to deliver combat powers to the fleet. And just to listen to the pride that they have in their work is just poor inspiration to me to do more to support them. This is especially true with our naval shipyards and the Naval Sustainment Systems shipyards effort that I have the honor of leading. I have been able to travel to own uh, but the Pearl Harbor Naval shipyards, which I will be going next week uh, with C. But um, each time that I talk about our workforce, and about what Navy and the Naval Sustainment System shipyards brings to the employees, to the shipyards workers. I try to stress that this effort is not about extracting more, not demanding more from our workers, but it's about how the whole Navy from the top down, from Secretary of the Navy, from Chief of Naval Operation, from the Commander of Naval Sea System Command supporting them. And so our naval shipyards deliver combat power to our Navy. And so in this um, strategic competition, the Navy leadership understands that our shipyards need help from across the whole of our service to deliver our more capable world fighters to the fleet. And so given back my background as a refugee and the fact that my father survived his heroin helicopter trip back to USS Midway, so I view the current effort, what I'm doing at NAFC is a way to pay back my adoptive country for everything it has provided me. And also it's a way to pay forward so our Navy can continue to be the beacon of hope that it has
0: been for so long. That's excellent. I think the Navy definitely benefits from your perspective. So I wanna ask what challenges you about this job? (laughs) Time. Uh, It has
1: always been in short supply. And um, so I think the pandemic has exacerbated that challenge. So many of us had to adjust our life to the virtual environment. And many had to provide direct care for the elderly, the young, the special needs in the family. So time is really precious. And I wish that I had more time to connect to the workforce, to let them know that I do really understand what they're going through. And I also wanted more time with my family, you know, or more time with friends. And so time is a a challenge.
0: So during... Um, COVID-19 pandemic, you know, about a year or so ago, there was a lot of um, increased prejudice and violence against the Asian American community. How do you respond to that personally? And how did you respond professionally?
1: Um, So there was, and remains, a lot of confusion about the ongoing pandemic. There was so much fear and people wanted to place blame somewhere on someone. So the violence of this is a combination of ignorance and fear. So I want to respond to the violence the same way, both personally and professionally, by trying to counter the fear that drives the typical type of criminal behavior with facts. I believe that only truth can counter emotions. So I always work to provide the best information possible. I believe, I do believe strongly that logic and compassion are the only ways to combat fear and ignorance.
0: It's very true. Thank you for saying that. Shifting gears a little bit, I I wanted to talk a little bit more about your Vietnamese heritage and how do you pass along your heritage and traditions to younger generations?
1: I'm still active in the Vietnamese community, and I keep in mind that life is visual. What you tell people pales in comparison to, to what you show people. So my mother taught me that by setting examples, especially for the youth in the marginalized groups, it is evident that, that we need to have equal opportunities. And so it is my product, and you heard what I said earlier, is that I believe strongly in diversity and inclusion um, as they help to create balanced culture capable of developing new ideas and that would lead to greater progress.
0: What are some of your favorite things about Vietnamese culture? The
1: uh, resourcefulness of the Vietnamese people, Uh, the dedication and commitment to family and community, and the selfless devotion to the greater good. And then, Also, it's also important is the food, right? The food is great.
0: (laughs) What's your favorite Vietnamese dish?
1: Oh, there's so many, but I think that um, it's the noodle soup pho. Everybody likes pho. pho. Yes, you do too?
0: Yes. Love it. My mom, who is not Vietnamese, she makes really good pho.
1: Really? Wow, that's impressive.
0: Yeah, we get the star anise and it's like she gets all these different spices and, um, you know, sometimes we'll do it vegan, um, which I know that's not Vietnamese to do it vegan. <laughs> but once in a while, we'll make a vegan pho. It's so good. How do you make your pho?
1: Oh, you know, uh, and I don't think that I have perfected uh, pho because it's it's very hard. Right, you have to get the bones and you have to clean it and it's and but I think the secret is you have to cook it, put on the stove for at least twelve hours. Oh yeah, it's like an all-day thing. Yes, it's an all-day event. Right?
0: The house smells, smells so, so good.
1: good. Yes, exactly. But I admire your uh, your mother then, not the um, Vietnamese, and she. Uh, spend the time to make pho.
0: Well, she tried it once and I loved it. So she will uh, make it periodically for me. You know, it's almost like comfort food. Like if it's cold and I'm kind of down, she will uh, get all the stuff and make me a big thing of pho. It's wonderful.
1: Yes, yes. And uh, and my sons, I have two sons. When they come home and if I ask them what they want for food, they say
0: pho. So uh, getting back to your job, you talked about time. Time is what's challenging you. Have you given any thought to retirement and what you might do at that point? (laughs)
1: Yes. (laughs) I uh, I have to think about retirement because I have a husband waiting for me to retire. Uh, What I love to do, and I haven't been able to do much, uh, is to do volunteer work and holding babies, right? Some babies at the hospital, because I told my two sons this. Uh, I miss the grandchildren. Don't deny me of having the grandchildren. They didn't give you any grandchildren yet? Well, they need to find a girlfriend first. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and so I said that um, I will practice being a grandma by going to uh, the hospital, holding babies. You know, it's a mutual benefact- <laughs> benefit to both, right? I get to hold the babies. And then um, there's one way to give back, right? And, and, and then I would be the best grandma uh, I already have been expert in baby holding by the time my sons give me grandchildren.
0: I think it takes the pressure off them too if you can get like your fix of holding babies. Like it'll kind of like take a little pressure <laughs> off and maybe give them a little bit more time. Yes. <laughs> That's what I said when my, when, when my older brother had kids, I felt like it just took all the pressure off me
1: oh yes exactly (laughs)
0: that's all I hope I hope you find a really great volunteer job holding babies all day which will probably I don't know how different that's going to be from uh leading NAFSI I don't know how much baby wrangling you have to do here
1: (laughs) I think that is a leading question
0: (laughs) (laughs) kidding everybody like don't get mad Um, yeah, (laughs) but, but,
1: but you know, there's a saying, you need to love your employees, like your own family members or your children. So there's some truth to that. And, and so going back to my mom, like love, the chauffeurs, the cook, the nannies, like family members. I found that as I get older, And as I grow up in in, in responsibilities, I found that my employees' pains really, I feel their pain. And so I kind of recognize what they were saying about love your employees, respect them. But it's really, I think more than respect, treat them like your family members. And so you protect your family members, you treat your family members well, you treat them kindly, and yes.
0: Well, you you have a lot of family members to protect then because NAVSI is a very large community. Um, I, I did want to ask, you know, since we're on the subject of retirement, what would you like to accomplish before you leave civilian service?
1: Every. Day, what I do uh, is to support the sailors. And why I'm doing that is because what I hope to accomplish is really what I've been doing, right? Continue to deliver, leading a workforce to deliver the submarines aircraft carriers, surface ship and systems to help the U.S. to defend these countries and to advance our our freedom to uh, the whole world. So um, it's it's an unfinished business, but it's very satisfying and it continues to be satisfying.
0: Yeah, it is a tall order and it's, you know, you have a lot of people behind you working Pulling in the same direction, working on the same goal. So if I, I'm just going to make a little plug for the warfare centers because I've been supporting the warfare centers for, you know, more than a decade now, and they all have the same goal, which is to make things better, safer, uh, more effective uh, for the warfighter. They they have this person in mind that they're trying to make everything better for, so their lives are better and they're safer and more effective at their jobs, and that's kind of the common thread. So that's just a little plug for what's going on here at the warfare centers.
1: Oh, but thank you so much. Thank you so much because, um, you know, uh, NAFSI would not be NAFSI without the 10 warfare centers. And I, I tell you the comment that Admiral Galinas and I have always made every time we visit the warfare centers. Um, and see all the technology you develop and all the work that you have done, uh, we would come back and say, "Wow, the Navy paid us to do this. The Navy, we should pay the Navy <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> for all the contents." Cool and and uh, so you're absolutely right. The men and women at the Na- Naval Warfare Centers couldn't have done the job. We wouldn't be the force behind the fleet without the 30,000 welfare centers uh, people.
0: Thank you so much for saying that. Um, So I just wanted to thank you so much. I really enjoyed getting to know you and sort of like hearing your origin story. And I can't thank you enough for your time. Oh,
1: thank you very much. It's really an honor to have this uh, interview.
0: So thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Tangents. You can find all Tangents podcasts on the Tangents Wiki, and you can follow us on Fusion, hashtag Tangents.